0: Everyone has something going on. We don't know what it is. It might be positive, might be negative, might be something trivial, but some everyone has something going on. And when you under, uncover that, it's fascinating. She's gonna bring me back Give me a plus one to attack Oh, oh, oh I want to come back to the dice, whoa oh, oh, oh. I think I need some good advice, I need a Roleplay Rescue, oh yeah,
1: I need a Roleplay Rescue, oh yeah, oh yeah. Hello Rescuers, my name is Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our passion for tabletop roleplaying games. Today, I have another of my conversations with a friend within the role-playing games community. This episode, we dipped into talking about characterisation in our RPGs, especially around non-player characters. My guest, Simon Williams, is a British artist and illustrator, as well as being the creator of the fantastic Legend of the Bones podcast, a hybro solo old-school Dungeons & Dragons actual play and dark fantasy audio-drama. We hopped online at the tail end of March 2023, and a conversation wandered into some, well, pretty interesting areas. I hope that you will enjoy it. Big thanks up front to Simon for coming back to the show. I hope, mate, that you enjoyed it too. This is Season 12, Episode 11, Characterization with Simon Williams. So welcome back, Simon, from the Legend of the Bones podcast. How are
0: you? I'm very well, Che.
1: How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Right, so, um, yeah, how's it going with Legend of the Bones, then? Um, I'm still listening, and it sounds pretty good. Uh, but, you know, from your perspective, how are things going?
0: Yeah, it's, it's going really well. And um, I've had a, a, a big upshot of listeners here in the past few months, which is great. Um, and, it, I mean, it's always hard to tell how many listeners I've actually got, because the way the metrics work is all about downloads rather than individual yeah. listeners. But, you know, had... Thirty thousand downloads so far, so yes. I mean, yeah, that's surpassed my wildest expectations about what the podcast could have, could have achieved when I started, yeah. and I'm rapidly approaching the first year anniversary. Actually, so um, wow. that comes up in May, so uh, I'm planning a very special episode for for that particular event. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, in May will be about the time this comes out, so hooray! Indeed, indeed,
0: <laughs> and, and and that will have some some guest voice actors, some of which you may know oh
1: all right okay yeah maybe (laughs) um we'll let that hang there indeed um yeah so um yeah it's been going i mean we've been going a year um and obviously from the humble beginnings of like i will knock this thing together and see what it sounds like um i mean how how are you feeling like a year on with it in terms of like yeah you know partly I guess I guess like how the game is going and partly like in terms of production and how you're and how you're managing that how's it all feel
0: yeah so um I'm still really infused about it so that's great because mm-hmm. <laughs> that because that would be a bad thing if I wasn't and in fact I'm probably yeah. I'm probably more and more infused as I go along because the world that's being that's emerging and being built through the process is I'm becoming more and more immersed in it so yeah. um, and that's. That's ultimately what I was trying to achieve and I think I've got to the point now where I kind of I know what I'm doing with it and mm. what I mean by that is that you know I've kind of got to grips with the production the quality of the production I think is a lot better you know mm. I listen occasionally listen back to the first three or four e- episodes and you know they're a bit ropey compared to <laughs> the, the the audio standards I'm, I'm achieving now mm. and you know I'm partly tempted to go back and and mm. you know, remaster them and and re-record mm. the vocals and those kind of things, but part of me thinks it's quite nice to have those kind of baby photographs there if you if you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, I Um I don't know. I, I, I might I might well go back and remaster them at some point in the future, but mm. I, I'm a pretty time constrained individual. So uh yeah, yeah. I, and I once I've done something, I tend to want to look forward rather than look back.
1: Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think about like my podcast's been going. What we're coming up on now four years, so. It'd um, be four years in November, so three and a half years or something now, something like that. And you know, go back and listen to episode one, two, you know, first season or whatever, and it's rough. You know what I mean? And and actually <laughs> stilted in some ways when I listen to them again. But you know, that's when I started podcasting. The other th- thing I would say though is I know I'm not sure that I could master the same mood and passion if you know what I mean, because I was really talking from the gut and the heart back then. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure you know what I mean, like when you, you first do something, it's kind of raw. Um, and of course, that's what carries through in the recording in some ways. But I don't think I could, I, I could polish it up and I could make it sound better. You know what I mean? But I'm not sure it would, because I've moved on, right? So I'm not sure that I, it would be genuine. I think it yeah. would perhaps sound. And I also think like in terms of, I mean, I'm not going to necessarily claim art here, but I kind of think about, you know, everybody's on a, an artistic journey, right? in Developing what they do. and so. I think like not being ashamed of where we started. You know, actually, like the world can see that and value that. And the other thing I would say is on a personal level is I still get really positive feedback about very early episodes, and I get bugger all really positive feedback about recent episodes. So you know, maybe the early stuff was best, and I should just pack it in. No, um, but you know what I mean. It's that whole <laughs> that whole thing of like, well, some people seem to appreciate it. So
0: yeah, no, I I do get that, and I I, I get that that thing you have just said there about you know watching watching the growth of someone producing something is is, mm. is actually really interesting. You feel like you're on the journey with them. Yeah. Um, and that's really valuable. Mm. I guess I sometimes worry that, um, I, that I start to kind of become very narrow in what I'm doing. Mm. Almost like I, I find a kind of niche that I settle into and, and, mm-hmm. and I always want to kind of be pushing the boundaries of what I'm doing. Yeah. But, but what I have noticed and I kind of touched on this when we last spoke that my, my interest in character development remains very strong. Mm -hmm. And and I've always, I'm a classic introvert, right? Although most people don't realize that when they meet me, Mm -hmm. um, mainly because I synthesize not being an introvert, Um, (laughs) but I'm an introvert who's incredibly interested in people. And, I have a fascination about what make makes people tick, mm-hmm. and I think because of that, I I invest quite heavily in my characters, but not just my PCs, but also my NPCs as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because I mean, in a way, when you're when you're playing a solo game, you, you're playing everyone, mm-hmm. and and they all matter. Yeah. You know, the the antagonists matter as much as the protagonists. Mm-hmm. The you know the the side characters matter as, matter as much as the you know the main the main characters Mm. and um and i find myself more and more drawn into the lives of these people that i'm creating Mm. Um, and sometimes they they develop they develop almost on their own Mm -hmm. Um, and and that's that's really fascinating as well Mm. yeah sometimes i write something i think where the hell did that come from yeah you know that's a that's really interesting or you know I have something set up in my mind about what a particular character is going to be or look like. And then I'll make a dice roll and it completely surprises me what happens. Mm. And I think, and it, and it, it, it pivots what I, it pivots what I do with that, that character mm. and how they develop. And, um, and that's fascinating. I think I find that really, mm. really fascinating.
1: Yeah, that's cool, and and I wanted to talk to you about character development and especially non pair character development. I think um, so. That's something we can unpack in a minute. But yeah, it's interesting to hear you talking about that is being the sort of key, well, one of the key focus for you, like to to really sort of dig into and enjoy.
0: Yeah, and I think I think for me, it's I'm enjoying that almost maybe more than the game aspect of it actually, Mm, and and the game is actually kind of the the vehicle by which I'm exploring both these people and the world. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, just that's become a really interesting dynamic of, of, of the podcast out of the game. Yeah.
1: No, So I found it as well. I mean, so since we last spoke and I've obviously, um, I don't know if you're aware, but I started doing some stuff, uh, solo stuff with the uh, basic role-playing game um, some months ago now, it's a couple of months, I think um and i mean the, putting aside the last couple of weeks because i've been working on a new project um as an open table game for some friends online um uh but you know the plan is this week on holiday to get back to it that game is very much sort of alive you know but in a similar way to you i found that i started with a quite heavily i suppose really focused on like okay i've got this world and i'm bringing these rules and i'm going to sort of generate that This world's going to generate itself through the interactions and what's going on. And I'm, I don't know what about, I don't know, nine or 10 sessions or something down the line, and already the game is sort of falling away a bit. You know, the game mechanical, me- mechanism bits are sort of falling away a bit. And to some degree, it has an, a, an energy of its own. You know, it's like as you said, like dice rolls come in and surprise you and help shape things. But actually, a lot of it sort of falls away a little bit. So more and more, it's the description of the scenes and the characters and what the character's doing as you've commented the character's starting to have a life of their own starting to have a sense of who they are i mean that's just starting to bubble through um yeah. and i think that's quite fascinating um and it's what then motivates me as i think we talked about you were saying to me this is what would happen but sort of motivates me more to go and find out well what happens next to them you know
0: yeah um because you know it, it's, it's like getting to know someone isn't it yeah yeah absolutely. yeah you meet someone new in your life and you get to know them and it's kind of mm. you, you get quite excited by what this new person is is yeah. is offering you uh, yeah, and it's yeah. the same for these the characters you create mm.
1: thing is as well as i had a character death quite early on and um that was quite painful actually um I, and i really didn't think it would be you know but actually already within i think it was like four sessions or something in or something, i would, only really just kind like, got to grips with things and got things running and then we had a character die a character that i was becoming a bit invested in personally as well so all of yeah. the characters i was thinking well this is the one i'm most interested in and then they die yeah and, and honestly that was that was so difficult you know that and of course this you know this isn't an imaginary person but of course in one level it isn't an imaginary, you know like as they're as real to me as you know in one sense there's anybody else right our brain finds it hard to tell the difference between fantasy and reality so you know in one level you can be invested in that person and that individual and then you lose them it's it's all it's not the same but it's sort of in that ballpark
0: of similar absolutely yeah no uh, totally i mean uh, uh, at the time of published episodes uh, i've not lost a character Mm. and um i I had this (laughs) this thing in my mind about you know are people going to think I'm fudging the roles I'm, I'm totally not they've just been <laughs> yeah. incredibly lucky mm. um but either way, it's given me much more time to be really invested in these characters yeah um and you know that the emotional payback of a character mm. dying when you know them that well when you when you live and breathe them
1: mm.
0: is intense mm. um and I know you know I mean yeah John said that about his podcasts. Yeah, when he's lost specific characters, he yeah he really felt it. Yeah, and um, yeah, you know, and, and I think he said, you know, on one of them he had to kind of you know step away for the podcast for a few days because he just mm. yeah you know, he just needed to kind of come to terms with the fact that he lost this this character. Yeah, and um, and I could totally relate to that.
1: Yeah, I had the situation when this particular. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I've hesitated to record more of it. I record. I don't know if you you know, but I recorded like the first sort of opening scenes I need to run a little combat thing as a sort of a special episode yeah um, I listened I it was, to it
0: it was great I um, want to hear more <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah well the hesitation I've got about it apart from like the time it takes because honestly hours um of recording time and everything else but um or well, editing time really but um the um the diff- one of the worries I have is I don't I don't quite want to revisit that scene you know like it's I had that we had that scene and uh, there's a there's a gonna be a death right spoiler um but actually there's a part of me that doesn't really want to revisit it you know and, and yeah. like and retell that because i i think that's still going to to have an emotional impact you know what i mean it's like yeah. i guess in some sense i need to do that probably for catharsis but it's on the other hand you know like i'm a little bit nervous about it and yeah. and the interesting the other thing i wanted to say about that scene as well as that at the end of that and like because that was the first phase of my play, and to be fair it was quite combat heavy it was quite you know i was just kind of mucking about really um but then that event I, I came back to the game i actually had the thing where i sat down one sunday morning and it was like but well, am i going to do this or not am i going to pick this cat these two characters left up or not you know and i did and then it went off in a way i didn't expect it to you know and um yeah, it was quite interesting. That was when it really sort of came to life in a way. So yeah. um, that actually, that had the two characters kind of response to what happened and then that sort of propelled it forward a little bit further. And I feel like there's there's the sort of two stages. There was this very early stage of sort of fumbling around a little bit and trying to figure it. And then the emotional impact of the losing the character made me realise just how quickly I'd become attached to them, you know? And then yeah. from that, I, you sort of discover more.
0: Uh, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because <clears throat> you just talked there about how your other two characters reacted mm. to to the third character's death, and I think it's at those moments of emotional intensity in the characters' perspective where you get real character development and growth happen. Yeah, and you know, and in my own show, um, you know, there's been a, a couple of occasions where there's been near-death moments um, mm. up to now. Um, yeah, one with 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 uh, Valen when he, uh, mm-hmm. he 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 narrowly avoided being poisoned, and another with with the cleric Lena when she was a uh, she was attacked when mm. she was a watch, and you know, and and the reaction of the other characters it kind of just poured out naturally for me. And but it was at those moments I discovered not just new character depth and emotional depth within the characters, but connection between them. Yeah, and suddenly. I wasn't just dealing with, you know, four disparate characters. I was, I was involved with a group of friends who, whose lives have become interconnected and boy, that, that just elevated it to the next level because now I've got, I'm thinking about, you know, as I'm playing the game, I'm thinking about those emotional attachments Mm -hmm. and commitments to each other. And, you know, something happens to one of the characters? What would the others do in response to seeing or hearing or, or finding out about that event? Mm. And suddenly that creates a whole new narrative arc mm. that I wouldn't have otherwise come across. Um, and, and it's interesting because, you know, I I, would, would I I kind of market the show as a hybrid of mm. being solo actor play and an audio drama.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, and I don't shy away from the fact that, there's an audio drama aspect to this. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not writing a drama Mm. because I'm, I am playing a game, but it's a drama that's driven through game mechanics. But I, I'm really fascinated by that dramatic element Mm. of what goes on. And, and it's the most enjoyable part of the show for me. Mm. It's the hardest to write (laughs) <laughs> and mm-hmm. the hardest to record and the hardest to edit, and all those kind of things. The the game bit is, you know, when I'm doing that bit, I'm flying through it. You know, that's yeah. that's no problem. But yeah, you know, when I have to sit down and write, you know, a five-minute passage of, of narrative, boy, that that takes a lot of um intellectual and emotional investment from me.
1: No, mm. yeah, I absolutely relate to that. I find the pace of things is very much slower than I expected in a lot of ways. You know, and I cover I sit down for an hour, an hour and a half. I'm not gonna get an awful lot done, if you like, not in the sense of like if you're playing with a group, then what could you do in an hour to two hours? Do you know what I mean it's a group. I think because there's so many more minds around the table and there's that interaction, it's a completely different kind of dynamic. But when you're sitting there, yeah, you know, there are times when I sit and really have to sort of stop and just take a second and you know, and then as you start to type or, you know, whatever and and it sort of it does come forward. Um but it's, it's not always fast. I mean, I know there's an old as a saying, but I think it's Seth Godin who writes about how there's a difference between typing and writing. You know, like, I think it's a really nice distinction. A lot of people think that writing is just like typing. But actually, you know, those are entirely different skills, right? Like, you could sit and type, you know, I don't know, have several hundred, probably a couple hundred words or th- several hundred words a minute or whatever, you know what I mean? Quite, quite quick. But writing,
0: nah. <laughs> No, absolutely not. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, one paragraph can take hours sometimes. Yeah, because you know? and and not least because I'm, I'm a bit of a perfectionist about about mm. how how it's worded, mm-hmm. uh, and I want it to be good prose and all those kind of good things. Yeah. Um. So yeah, t- totally relate to that. It's um. It, it's, it's a very interesting experience to go through, but I think one of the things I'm very conscious of because because I'm putting it out as a podcast mm. and yeah it's there to you know entertain people effectively yeah um I'm very conscious about pacing through yeah. the show through the through the game um and I think if I was not recording it as a podcast it would be, it would be even slower than it that it is yeah for me um but I I try to I try to keep the pace up because mm-hmm. otherwise it's going to be really tedious and boring for people to listen to um mm. And I, I keep in my mind that actually, I'm um, yeah, you know, people want to be entertained by it. They're not just yeah. listening to be play a game. Yeah. I think they're, I think, I believe they're listening to it because they want to hear that audio drama part of it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's one, again one of the probably the inhibitions I have about recording more is, that, you know, I'm not, I'm not writing it and producing it as a podcast. I'm writing in, you know, a game, or I'm developing and play, enjoying and playing a game myself. But on the other hand, there was quite a lot of value in doing that little recording. You know, for me, it was uh, it was quite rewarding to do, and it was interesting to sort of I mean, to listen back to it, if you like. Um, for me, it was quite interesting as well. Got a different perspective on on the game from doing that, and I also think that I mean Kenny, um, God, what was his name, Kenny, who uh, was like solo mentor back in the day, like two thousand and fifteen. I'm pretty surname now, um, but uh. He's the producer of Solo Roleplayer um, blog back in the day and uh, sort of then disappeared from the scene around about 2016 or something. But um, Kenny was always talking about how it's really important to record what you do in the sense of making a record of it and then being willing to share it. For his view was that Solo's gaming, a big part of the, the value of it was in sharing your your experience and your game, whether that was a written record on your blog, as he would do, or whether, you know, in some other form. I don't know what you make of that, um, but I found when I have shared it, um, there's a sense of it being a little bit more real, if that makes sense.
0: Totally. I think it it, it comes to life even more so. And, and yeah, I find that by, by doing it as a podcast, because I add in the music and... The sound effects and all that kind of stuff mm. uh, and and the characters are given voices mm. and they're, and they're spoken out aloud it it, it kind of immerses it more mm. um and it, for me when i uh, you know not out of vanity but i have to listen back to my own podcast mm-hmm. quite a lot because of the whole he- mm. the whole editing process and you know be- just before a show goes out i re-listen to that episode even though i might have recorded it you know mm-hmm. five months earlier um I listen to it several times because I just want to make sure I haven't there's no mistakes that I haven't picked mm-hmm. up earlier. And in doing so, I find that I'm able to create a much clearer mental picture because of all of those those additional aspects that it being a an audible thing mm. gives me. Um, you know, listening to the sound of you know the the birds in the canopy, or or mm. the waves crashing against the rocks, or and and listening to the voices of of the characters as they speak, be they even if I've done them or if a voice actor's done them, mm. it, it it just brings it far more to life mm. um, than if I was just kind of reading my reading my script back to me myself. Mm.
1: So let's pick up on the subject of characterization then, really. So, mm-hmm. I mean, when we first talked about um, Legend of the Bones, you talked a little bit about how you created the characters, you know, essentially just sort rolled them up using BX and then, you know, let them emerge through play to some degree. I'd like to talk a little bit about NPCs. I mean, the Achilles heel in my role playing has always been, you know, NPCs. That um, mine will either be incredibly shallow and perfunctory you know almost like i'll pull a stat block for that goblin and it just becomes generic and i really don't want that a lot of the time you know i mean i know if i've got a, gra- a group of goblins that i'm not necessarily going to personalize and give a car- deep character to all of them especially if they're just you know going to be mowed down by the pcs but on the other hand i think it's a much richer game when they 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 are like you know little characters um, so I mean how do you approach that the issue of, and the question of NPCs so
0: I, I I probably have a slightly different approach in my solo game to my live table but mm. but there, there are similarities and
1: I'm oh, sorry I just to interrupt I just realized actually in asking a question like are they really non-player characters in a
0: well, solo game well you know, <laughs> like i said earlier you know in a way in a solo game you're playing all of the characters so yeah i guess you i guess you could you could turn it you have protagonists you oh. have antagonists and you have those in between yeah um, but you play them all absolutely mm-hmm. um so i guess w- the way i always think about it is that someone someone in my work life once said to me because um, i i do a management job yeah, I, And I managed quite a lot of people. And I had a mentor early in my career. And, and he said to me, never forget that everyone's got something going on. Mm-hmm. You just never know what it is. And that sort of stuck with me with this idea that you, it's true. You you don't know what people have got going on in their lives. Mm. And for, you know, from a professional standpoint, it's you know, cut people slack. Mm-hmm. yeah, you know, you, you know, Give them space because you... You don't know what they've got going on in their lives, but from a gaming perspective, I've kind of carried that into my my gaming ethos when it comes to creating any kind of character. Really, mm. in that every character will have something going on. Mm-hmm. The PCs just may not know what it is, mm-hmm. but as the GM, you may know what it you you, know, you can you can decide what it is. You could say, yeah, you know, this is a a guard on the door and they're going to have, he's going to say one word to the party. So therefore you know, let's not bother. Mm-hmm. But you could say, well, there's a guard on the door, but you know what? He's an, he's in an unhappy marriage
1: mm-hmm. and
0: he, he's desperately seeking some kind of satisfaction in his life or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And actually that might develop the interaction more richly yeah. with the, that the, the characters have with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be as simple as that. And, you know, I know the Alexandrian talks about giving characters motivation Mm-hmm. And I guess it, I guess it's that, it's that thing, isn't it, really? Yeah. But, but I like to think of it slightly more deeply than that. It's not just mm-hmm. what is it they want out of life, what is mm-hmm. it that they are motivated by, you know, mm-hmm. money, reputation, status, whatever it is, you yeah, know, revenge. But actually, what have they got going on as a person mm-hmm. in terms of their friends, their family, their loved ones, the people they work for the people who work for them mm. i think that's a, that's a much more interesting dynamic and certainly when i'm thinking about major npcs mm. npcs which are going to have you know quite a lot to do <laughs> with with the party then i would invest much more time in 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 that kind of um, exploration of their character mm. now I'm, i might not even do that straight away Yeah, you know, the character might be be introduced and i might have a very you know, rough outline about them in terms of their um their body, broadly their persona what they look mm. like and you know what they sound like and that kind of stuff mm. um what, what I've done in the show is uh, w- when major NPCs get introduced I often do a kind of dramatic person for them yeah um and that kind of helps to kind of me give them a bit of a backstory and also helps mm. to uncover it helps me to explore mm-hmm. some of their motivations or what they've got going on in their life um and I think about this um in around episode nine there's a, a dwarf character gets introduced as a, mm-hmm. as an NPC and um Torsten and he accompanies the party for a little while and I do I did his backstory as of dramatis and again you know it just kind of evolved naturally as I was writing it. I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't have his major plan as I was just writing it it just kind of mm-hmm. came out. I thought wow that's really interesting. He's got this mm-hmm. he's got this whole thing going on which actually tells me something about his personality of his motivation and why mm-hmm. he does the things he does. Um, and it made him a much richer character for it. Mm. So, so I absolutely kind of hone in on that, and I do do that with my live table as well. But, but I probably, I probably don't invest so much there because, frankly, you know, when when you're playing with other people, you just, you, know, you just don't know where they're going to go. Yeah, you, know, you have mm. no, no idea what they're going to do. When you're in solo, you're your player, your player as well as GM. So, you yeah. kind of, it's a little bit more. Control in that sense. um So yeah, I, so that's that's one of the the first thing I do. The, the second thing I I really focus in on is that you know every person on the planet is not good or evil. It's mm. not black or white. Well, you know, people live in shades of grey, mm-hmm. and so should NPCs be. They mm. should live in shades of grey, and they are much more relatable when they are grey rather than black or white. They're much more interesting characters. And if you think about you know, really great characters you see on TV or movies or in, in books, um, you know, Breaking Bad's Walter White, um, mm-hmm. Tommy Shelby from Peaky Blinders, you know, they are kind of anti-heroes, but, but they're interesting because they're grey. They're mm-hmm. not totally bad. They're not totally good. They're kind of in the middle. And you don't know which way they're going to go uh, in any given situation. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. um and i i remember with my with my live game that the 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 npc my my um my my players talk about the most is a character i developed probably three years ago now and basically he was a he was a racketeer in a town and he was he was a bit of a kind of godfather type and yeah. um and he had all the kind of you know, over the top voice and so forth <laughs> but the reason they remember him the reason they they Thought he was such a great NPC, was he? he was totally great. But mm. so he was this—he was this murdering, drug dealing, um, smuggling mm. racketeer. Or on the one hand, but he on the other hand, he was the patron of an orphanage, and rescued countless children from the gutter, and they—they. And they, they couldn't quite come to terms with the fact that he had this dual personality, this dual mm-hmm. aspect to his personality. Mm-hmm. In fact, there was a, there was a character that was play, playing a cleric in the party. And he was like, I can't have anything to do with this character. He's, he's evil. And, um, and the rest of the, the rest of the players were like, yeah, but yeah, we, we need him and, and, and he could do good things for us. And, and that was really interesting, a really interesting well, dynamic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I am um... I was—I mean—I was thinking about like you know, like you talk about TV shows and movies. I guess it's very much the thing of our our era, and you know that we we seem to like to live in uh, stories which are filled with grey, right? Like, as you're saying, um, but of role-playing games traditionally have like good versus evil going on. What I think is really interesting is when um, something a character appears to be, say, you know, the great like vi- uh, the villainous type. And then we discover just something about them that makes us question that, you yeah. know, that, that is, there's just something that they do or that they've been that their reputation carries or whatever that actually just makes us wonder for a second about, you know, what's going on there. Like you commented on earlier, this idea we don't know what's going on. Um, yeah. And I'm just thinking about, like, you know, if even if you have an archetypal goblin boss type, do you know what I mean? Like, there's a real strong temptation just to go with the very simplistic stereotype. And I guess this is the same for any kind of character, isn't it? But actually, and that's, and then maybe there's nothing wrong with that in the beginning. But if players start to take an interest or if the story starts to, you know, evolve from that interactions with that character, it can be a lot of fun to throw in a little bit of a curve or like to reveal something about that character that is just like, what now? Doesn't maybe, maybe it feels like a non sequitur in some ways, you know, like it doesn't quite fit.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think what's what's interesting about what you just said is about NPCs that aren't human. That Mm. are traditionally monsters, yeah. Um, or or have you know monster stereotypes like goblins, yeah. And I think, um, and I I haven't done this in my games yet, but I think it would be really interesting to explore, you know, well, what is goblin culture like in my world, yeah. You know, how is goblin society constructed? Um, what motivates them as a society Mm. or as individuals, Uh, and and is that is that true to the human, um perception of what goblins are or actually is it completely false yeah yeah and in the same way that you know from people from different nations in our real world often have very very false perceptions of each other um and about each other's motivations uh, and that's really interesting and your, your point there about you know in a, in a fantasy world things are traditionally much more black and white you know, it's good versus yeah. evil and you know um it's probably why I don't we really particularly like paladins <laughs> but um <laughs> i think um for me the games that i like to play are i describe them as grim gritty and grounded yeah um and and it's that grounded element for me which is important and it i need it for my immersion in the world yeah and when it's all kind of you know ivory towers and you know Yeah, everyone's good looking and all that kind of stuff I, I, it just i can't i can't be immersed in it it just breaks it immediately for me yeah. you know and everything's clean you know and, and there's no disease i i i can't i can't get my head around it it just I, it reminds me of um you know the film the matrix mm-hmm. and and um and they talk about the fact that you know the first matrix they created was all perfect and yeah it, but it didn't work because the human being humans rejected it because it yeah. wasn't yeah. yeah we we judge our own happiness by other people's misery and um uh, and i think that's really interesting and and it was exactly that for me uh i, I just i can't i can't get into a world where it's just clean and shiny and where everyone is just good or evil and nothing in between uh, and i i need it to be grounded and that's why i i like my couch to be gray mm.
1: I don't have an issue with, like, the concept of good and evil and that sort of division. I don't have an issue with that. But I think that what's important is to recognise that even your character who's some try- trying to be some kind of paragon, he even has maybe attained some kind of, like, truly moral standard. You know, I think what's interesting is the struggle they have to maintain that. And I think you have to go inside them, you know, and you have to go... Th- like beneath the surface of that and show the struggle you know for me like trying to i know that as a as a a human being it's really hard to, to uphold any kind of you know personal standard or moral value right to you know to not be a dick is much harder than people think right every day and i think like What's imp- what i want for my stories is i want to see that struggle i want to i want to understand that struggle on it you know and and then i will respect the character all the more when they do attain it and of course i will feel with them when they fail right because you know what you know, inevitably being human or a humanoid at least they're they're going to fail yeah um yeah i always found it most difficult about like often in fantasy games like the elven stereotype is very again very saccharine isn't it it's kind of like the almost perfect angelic beings do you yeah. know what i mean and and for me it's like no um I, I do actually even going underneath the surface i much prefer tolkien's take on that in the background you know like on the surface of it the elves are this kind of almost perfected magical race of but they're very sad and and you know it's what's going on there but as you get into the backstory in the silmarillion like there's some seriously corrupt um elves who have like change the course of history you know it's that's actually quite fascinating um, oh absolutely you know,
0: yeah and, and even if you just look at the hobbit you know you yeah. know the, the elven king you know he's motivated mm. by money and jewels and you know yeah. but, you know very material things which you mm. know lay, later that kind of mm. it gets diluted a little bit in um in lord of the Rings. but
1: yeah well i think yeah. about, that's what we do with the, with the movie isn't it? we sim- like in some ways it's a simplification of that and the the reinforcement of those stereotypes that actually you know, becomes less interesting.
0: Um, yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and, and and I do, I do get your point actually about you know the, there are people in the world who are genuinely trying to do good. Mm. Um, but as you say, the the interest comes from their you know, the struggle to maintain that. And yeah. I think w- when I was um you know when I was a teenager and yeah you know, playing well playing games then, I really liked elves, and I had mm. I think it's because I had this kind of you know, idealistic view that you know it was it was good to be good. Yeah, and um, but as I've got older, I'm probably more cynical. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I actually find that quite boring now, um, mm. and I'm much more interested in in, in human stories than I am mm. demi-human stories.
1: Yeah, I mean that's another thing as well. I found um, whilst I don't have an objection to having those sort of demi-human kind of you know races to use the old D and D terminology, um, I I don't necessarily feel I need them you know, like the, the game I started playing right now doesn't have them, you know, right. they just don't aren't there because I haven't felt the need, you know, like humans on the way variety and I'm only just touching the surface is, is fine. You know, um, if I, I'm, I'm running a sort of traditional mega dungeon-y type game as the other project I've got going at the moment and just kind of a couple, like a session down and another session about to go tomorrow. Um, and and in that it's like well you know if we find a knockabout game which is you know very open table knockabout come and play for a couple of hours and have a bit of a laugh then it does it can be a little bit more two dimensional and that's not an issue but you know my solo game is much more expressing the the kind of you know other world immersion and character immersion that I want and and there I just feel like it's best to let those things fall away until they they feel like they really fit if that makes sense
0: yeah no totally totally. And it comes back to the thing, isn't it, about you know how much time do you invest in an NPC? Mm. Uh, um, and I guess there is no right or wrong answer to that. It, no. it depends what what works for your game. Uh, for my solo game, like I say I, I, I invest much more heavily in the NPCs, um, almost as equally as I do the the, mm. the main the main player characters, for want of mm. a better word. Um, and 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 I find that very interesting to explore them and and i think actually it makes it makes the solo game richer because what will happen is that as i explore their characters that that creates new connections and ideas that take can can take the game in a completely different direction to the way i i first thought Mm. Um, and so i think from from a solo play perspective i think really investing time in npcs is really important um I found,
1: I think it's through solo Game, and I realised the power. So, in theory, I have always understood that if you put an NPC into a scene, and you allow the player, the player characters, to interact with that NPC, you will, in some way, learn more about the player characters, right? That, the, in theory, that the introduction of a character and the interaction with a character should tell us something about everybody in that interaction. Um, but I found that. I think more starkly shown in my solo play and perhaps it's because you take your time a bit more, um, yeah. you know, when you're, when you're alone and you're interested, right? So you perhaps probe a little bit more deeply than when I'm at the table, it might be that players don't, you know, necessarily uh, engage so well with the NPC. So they don't like get drive the Uh, there's a sort of a pressure you know that i I can imagine there being like where you're sort of probing and you're probing and you're trying to find out you know a little bit more you're trying to investigate around the character you're interacting with the character in a sense of like i'm curious i want to find out more and i'm not sure that players always do that obviously because maybe an npc just doesn't grab them or isn't you know their motives aren't uh, strong enough to to actually make that interaction work
0: yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think also in a, in a kind of regular game, if you like, um, the game aspect is far stronger. Mm. You know, the, the the players are trying to, you know, collaboratively achieve an objective. Mm. Um, whereas I, I would guess for some people with solo play, it's the same. But for, for me, it, it, as I've said, it's much more about world immersion and exploring mm. the world than it is mm. anything else. Um uh, and so you're right. When, when when a live table interacts with with an NPC, it, it's for a very specific purpose. Mm. It's to help them to achieve a yeah their their broader objective. Mm. Um, and I think when you when you're doing solo, and, and and particularly if you're writing the dialogue that happens between NPCs and, and and player characters, when I when I do it, I spend a lot of time. Thinking about the wording of what they are actually saying, because mm-hmm. of course, when you're playing playing with a group of people, you can't edit it. It, it comes mm-hmm. out. That's it. That that mm-hmm. what is spoken is what's said. Um, whereas I might I might go back and edit dialogue dialogue four, five, six times to get mm-hmm. the right wording because I want to I want a certain meaning or because I I think it suits the scene better or mm-hmm. actually that might then. Get, elicit a different response from the NPC, mm. and so i put more thought into it naturally because i'm taking my time over it mm. so i think that 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 time aspect is is a really a really key differentiator between how it works in, in one context mm. versus another
1: i don't know how it works for you i mean for me at the moment i'm at the level of i am playing and i'm i'm having those those dialogues quite quickly uh, i suppose in you know naturally they sort of arise and i feel like the characters speak through me you know da, da, da. um i when i came to record just a little bit it was then i came as i was revisiting essentially what was becoming the script for that recording right because you've got like the record of, you've got like the the narrative that you wrote and the dialogue you wrote and everything else you go back through it and you i mean there's some basic editing because it's like is it in english um but then there's that there's the odd tweaks to words and bits and language is it a similar process for you where you are as you revisit it or is it actually in the moment of creation as you're sitting there there's a lot more pondering
0: yeah so so, so the way i the way i create it is i, I play and write at the same time yep that's why so doing. so i i i don't uh, but but i create the script as i'm playing yep so so um so so effectively you yeah, i'm i'm there uh, I'll, I'll do some game stuff if game starts you know dice rolling whatever yeah. that needs to happen and then i'm into a narrative section i'm describing what's happening i'm describing the environment uh what the players yeah. are doing what the NPCs are doing and then i start writing the dialogue and i write what makes sense yeah then i might go back and edit it a bit but it's all done in that moment and then i'll yeah. finish that scene that scene's done yeah yeah, yeah. um and then I tend to re- I tend to record scene by scene rather yeah. than do do the whole yeah you know, script and then and then uh, do the whole then re- yeah record the whole thing in one go, um, just mainly because it, it's from a production perspective it's it's easier to do it in those more bite sized chunks yeah. and things like your voice changes and if I speak for too long the, the yeah. timber of my voice is different and I can become hoarse and those kind of things so yeah. um, it's just more of a practical thing but. Uh, I have to almost complete a scene before I can move on to the next.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, very, very occasionally, and something's just happened. I'm currently um, playing and writing episode 23, which isn't going to go out until like July, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. But um, something has happened there. And it's the first time where I've had to retcon something. Right. Because I, I completed a scene, but then a dice roll, it made it so evident that something had had to be different in the scene earlier, mm-hmm. the narrative part of it. Yeah, that I went back and I changed something. Yeah. Um, now it didn't fundamentally change the game yeah. or the outcome of the game because actually the dice rolls determined the game.
1: Yeah.
0: But the kind of lead up to that dice roll had to change.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, because I don't. It's not too much of a spoiler. It was. It was a reaction roll. Yeah. Um, and. And the reaction role went a certain way, but quite an extreme way, mm. and therefore, it 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 meant that what I'd written up until that point just didn't make sense,
1: mm-hmm.
0: having had that role. Yeah, and and so, so I went back and I and I, I rewrote parts of 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 the the NPCs' mm. dialogue, and therefore the, and the reactions to it just just so it made so there was some continuity to it. Yeah. yeah Otherwise, it would have been just too jarring, and, and it would be like, mm. well, how the hell is that going to work? You know. Mm. Um, so, but in the main, I I I I do a scene, I play it, and I, that's it. The scene's done, mm. um, uh, and then I I move on to the next one. Uh, but it's, it is in the moment. It's in the moment. But but that's why writing those narrative pieces can take so long because I'm 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 thinking really hard about what is it I want my player characters to say. What would what I know about that NPC? What would they? How would they respond to not just what's been said, but the mm. way it's said, the body mm. language, all of that kind of stuff? And I write those things. Mm. I write the you know. I, I talk about you know how they said something. You know, he said something sourly, or he said something mm. with a mockingly, or with a mm. or or warmly, or whatever it is. And I'm, I I will describe their facial expressions sometimes because I, I'm trying to kind of give me that sense of actually I want to be able to visualize it in my head. Mm. I, want to, I want to see that. And I'm a very visual person. So I do have a very, I have mental pictures in my mind all mm. the time. And I want to see that because that's actually, that's that's the interesting bit for me.
1: Yeah. Cool.
0: It's like being a final wall for, for, you know, two people having a conversation.
1: Mm. I've been experimenting with John Four's approach to NPC building. So I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. I don't know if you're aware. Uh, so he's the roleplayingtips.com guy. I'm and aware I of him, yeah. Him, had him on the show a while ago. He's coming back on, by the way, in May. But um, he has this thing called three-line NPC. So what he does when he, he needs to create an NPC, he does these very quickly, like in a couple of minutes. And he gives them a name. And if he needs to, he randomly generates a name or whatever. And then he talks about appearance, portrayal, and hook. So appearance is a quick descriptive kind of thing. What does someone look like? Their portrayal is like about mannerism, behavior, speech. And then the hook is like a uh, hook is what is the, gonna be the connection to the characters or what's the likely, you know, way in which they might interact with that in, individual NPC. And his view is that that's kind of a basis of what you need. You know, and once you've got that and when you're at the table, and we are talking about live, you know, primarily live regular gaming here, but he's for him he's discovered or he feels like he's discovered that actually. That's about all he needs to get going. And then a lot of the rest emerges. Um and then, of course, depending on what the NPC is for, then the more detail can be added. Um, and I don't know what you think of that,
0: really. I, I think I think when, you're build, when you need an NPC on the fly, mm. that's kind of fine. Um, I, and I can see the benefit of that approach. And I've probably done something similar myself mm. um, when I'm at the live table and suddenly, you know, <laughs> the party have gone somewhere I didn't expect them to. And, you know, yeah. I have to suddenly create an NPC. My mind my mind works pretty fast. Yeah. Um I I'm actually quite lucky I'm good at improvisation. Mm-hmm. Um and, and yeah, I know not everyone is, and yeah, that that's that's fine. Um but it helps in those situations. and and what I tend to do in those situations, I kind of I I roughly have the, the things that you've just mentioned there that, that John talks about. So oh. I'll have a quick mental picture about what they look like, some mannerism. Mm-hmm. I, I like doing voices not everyone oh. does but i like doing it i'm probably a kind of you know frustrated actor somewhere um <laughs> and I, I mean i remember what there was one one instance I, I had with my my live group and they went and knocked on this house the, the door of this house in, in a town because they thought the people who live there might be witness to something that had happened mm-hmm. and i don't know where it came from but i, I suddenly came up with this elderly couple and um and I, I basically then, they became this kind of really interesting pair because I was doing both voices like they were talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And the, the the group of players were quite kind of, they were both amused and slightly spellbound by it because it suddenly kind of, organically kind of spiralled out of control into this and they became these quite interesting characters Mm -hmm. um and as i was kind of doing this kind of dialogue between them and and interacting with the PCs at the same time i was suddenly getting this mental picture about what these two you know this elderly couple Mm -hmm. were like and their life together and and Mm -hmm. the dynamic between them and it made for a really interesting uh, kind of encounter for the party yeah and it was really interesting for me as as the gm to explore them in that and they they came and went you know it was probably no more than a, a 10 minute real-time interaction mm-hmm. and then they were gone and they've never been seen again but they've, those two characters have stuck with me because through exploring them in the moment mm-hmm. and by having this kind of almost mental picture of them. Uh, i was able to give them some depth that they wouldn't have ordinarily had hmm. now i don't say i do that all the time because if whatever reason it doesn't always come that way but i think that that premise of saying you know can i mentally picture what they look like and therefore can i describe it where it where it needs to be described do i understand the mannerisms absolutely but i think there's that there is that one thing about, uh, it probably is a hook, actually. It's probably a hooker. says, it's not necessarily a hook about what their relevance is to the party. Because mm. actually, sometimes they're not.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Sometimes they're not relevant. And that's more real. That's more real. Actually, they've come across these, these NPCs. They're not relevant at all. But it makes for an interesting encounter. Mm-hmm. It might open up something new, particularly if you're playing a sandbox. You know, you suddenly go, oh, actually. Together through as GM me playing this character and as the PCs playing, yeah, the players playing their PCs, have we just opened up something else, which is interesting for them to go and explore? Maybe. Mm. Um, So I think, I don't think a hook to the party is always necessarily important Mm. because, you know, I I can go walk to my local co-op for your American listeners. That's a kind of a small supermarket chain in the UK. I can go to walk to my local co-op and, you know, meet, meet the person behind the counter and have a a five-minute conversation with them as I'm, as I'm buying, you know, a box of tea bags or something, but there's no hook there other than I'm transacting with them. Yeah. You wanted tea bags on. I wanted the tea bags. Maybe that is the hook.
1: (laughs) For me, Though the thing there is like, what fascinates me when I buy tea bags from the co-op lady, which has happened, um, is when that, um, uh, that, the one in my local co-op actually she's probably about 20 and never smiles and looks like you know she's already given up on life you know what i mean and i try and interact and and you know you, you don't know what people are going on we've got that that point made earlier and actually i'm like you i want to find out like, what the heck is going on um no debugger bugger that i am so actually the interaction's interesting because what can i get out of this person do you know what i mean what can i and it, and it isn't necessarily relevant to my goals because yeah, I walk out of the shop and you know i mean i go back to life right but i guess the point is that i can make that i could make that um that interaction can matter to me because of what i discover
0: you know yeah I, I, and your understanding of that person and their per- and their role in the world mm. becomes richer you've uncovered something funny mm. enough you talked about you know a a girl in the a woman in their twenties working yeah. at the co-op. So there was a a young woman who worked in my co-op. Her name was Chanel. She uh-huh. had a name badge on, and Chanel had a very specific look about her. Uh-huh. She wore she wore a lot of heavy, heavy makeup. She had false nails. She had this dyed red hair. And um, and you know, I always wondered what was going on with Chanel because mm. she always seemed a bit bored. Like you mm. said, you know, in your example, a bit kind of. Giving up on life and then one day i went in there and her look had totally changed she had changed everything about herself you know the way she wore her makeup the clothes she was wearing her hair had changed color and i said oh that's really interesting what has gone on in chanel's life Mm -hmm. to 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 change her her whole the whole projection she gives to the world Mm. i didn't ask her because i felt it would be rude and, and, and imposing to do so but but I found that really incredibly interesting. And it comes back to that everyone has something going on. Mm-hmm. We don't know what it is. It might be positive, it might be negative, it might be something trivial, but some everyone has something going on. Mm. And when you under, uncover that, it's fascinating.
1: I guess the last thing I wanted just to mention on this subject as well is like in between sessions, I think one of the richest things you can do is you can sit down and you can ask yourself, right, given what the PCs have been doing, how does the world react? Right? How do the characters around them react to what's going on? And in some cases, it will be that just don't you know that, that some characters aren't bothered, right, or not affected, or whatever. But I do think there's something to be uh, something really interesting in taking the time to go right. Okay, so they have this interaction with I don't know. We talked about a guard earlier on who's having a happy marriage, right? So at the end of that, you know, what does what does the guard take away from it? Because we're always focused on what do the players, player characters, take away from the scene. But actually, as a GM, if you can, I think it's something rich in what did that that individual NPC take away from the scene? You know, um, are they angry with the PCs and, you know, and therefore next time they come across them, it'll be like, well, you know, screw them. Um, or is it that they they I don't know the NPCs helped them in some way and then they go off and do something about it. You know, uh, what do you make of that? And, and do you think it's worth the time? It's kind of my question
0: it is absolutely worth the time and and something like that happened in my solo game so um in relatively early episode i think it was episode five or six um my my cleric character she went to the local temple to talk to the priest there mm. to find out just find out some information and 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 find out what was going on in mm. in the town it turned out that 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 car- that that priest had a had a insidious influence in the town.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and through the interaction, this this came out. You know, he kind of because he uh, I made him quite a kind of lecherous character and he, mm-hmm. he kind of and he was um uh, he was really quite unpleasant and and he kind of he, he he revealed something of of his of his true nature and then of course you know she went off and kind of grasped him up and and then you know there's a whole chase scene and they caught him and so forth and and then in the last episode that went out episode 17 we hear about what happened to him <laughs> consequently yep. and and in that you you know he describes his feelings about that player character mm-hmm. uh and 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 what that interaction did to him now it, it, if that first interaction had gone very differently that would have never come out
1: mm.
0: it would never have come out and he would have been and the story would, would have been less rich and the game would have been less rich for it. Mm. But actually what happened was that interaction changed him mm. as much as it changed her. Um, and so I, I absolutely agree that actually following, you, know, you, might, you might not want to do it with the guard on the door, but actually you might do. Mm. I think it depends on how the interaction goes. Yeah, and, and if the interaction is is in some way significant for either party, i think it's absolutely worth following up and that increases the the very similitude of the world uh, and the immersion that you experience from it
1: yeah i mean for me i think it's the those are the moments when as a player if i'm a player and i detect that something we have done has now changed the world in some kind of way even however subtle it is but you know it's just changed things a little bit changed the dynamic or something there I get more curious then, you know, and then I want to, I want to probe and push on that a little bit more and find out, you know, what's going on. So, yeah, I think that, but I mean, for players like me anyway, and I guess like you, you know, who want to discover, I think that's like a really important element.
0: Yeah. What what I've not done is I've not actually asked my, my live table how they feel about this, you know, Mm. Um, I think I've got different types of players at my table. Yeah. yeah, I've got some who are very much simulationist. I've got some who are really into the fantasy. Some who are probably a bit more social. Um, and I wonder what they think. Or maybe I should. I should probably ask them. What mm. do you think about the NPCs? How does it? How does it affect you? And when, mm. when I come up with this crazy character, or whatever.
1: So there's a question for the listener, isn't it? As well, like, okay, so you're listening to us talking about this and wobbling on, right? So what do you make? Of, what do you want from your NPCs? Actually, when you have an interaction as a player character, what are you looking for? You know, and if we follow up on those NPC interactions and have those NPCs react in ways around you and you, maybe you notice it, maybe you don't, I don't know, but if that's what's going on, you know, is that going to enrich your game? Is it knowing that that kind of stuff is what the GM is thinking about? Does that make it deeper? My suspicion is it does, but I'd love to hear from people. Absolutely. Well, Simon, thanks ever so much for your time tonight. It's been great. And, um, yeah, good to talk a little bit about NPC stuff. I think like, we're on the same page in a lot of ways in terms of what we want out of our games.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And, um, yeah, thank you for having me back on. I mean, yeah, I think this is the third time I've been on the show now. And uh, yeah, your listeners are going to start getting sick of my voice. I doubt it. Very
1: much. I <laughs> doubt it. Um, so, yeah, just so that if anyone hasn't heard our earlier episodes, just quickly tell them a little bit about where they can pick up on Legend and a little bit more about what you're doing, and then we'll wrap it up.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, Legend of the Bones is a, a hybrid of uh, BX solo actual play and dark fantasy audio drama. You can get it on all good podcast apps or uh, at uh, Legend com. Thanks, Simon
1: well i guess we better leave it there um yeah thanks ever so much for your time and speak to you soon
0: take care bye-bye
1: so that's it for another week big thank you once again to simon from legend of the bones podcast for coming and sharing his thoughts and ideas around npcs with us i'll stick the link to his podcast in the show notes please do go and check it out i listen to it every time if you have any questions or comments i'd love to hear from you call in via speakpipe.com slash roleplay rescue and please leave a message thanks once again to all the roleplay rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpg rescue thank you also to john from tale of the manticore for the roleplay rescue theme music but most of all thank you to you for showing up and listening my name is che webster this It's Roleplay Rescue. I'll see you again next time. Game on.